Hi, and welcome to Jackie Winter Gives You the Business. I'm Jeremy Wartsman. I'm Bianca Bremham. And I'm Lara Chan Baker. Jackie Winter Gives You the Business is a weekly podcast from the Jackie Winter Group, which is a creative production and representation studio based in Melbourne and New York City. Each week, our two offices come together to celebrate the people and processes that operate behind the scenes to make creative work happen, as well as some of the thoughts and tools that are shaping our industry. While we have a certain focus on advertising, illustration, and animation, the topics and ideas discussed here should hopefully be of universal value to those on both sides of the equation of the applied arts. This podcast is all about offering a glimpse into the work we do as a bridge between clients and creatives. It's an ongoing exploration of how to wrangle the creative process to achieve excellence no matter what the medium. Today, we've cooked up something very special for you as we welcome Raf Rashid, founder of Beatbox Kitchen, Taco Truck, Juanita Peaches, and more to sit through our relentless cooking puns and also discuss how making food and advertising aren't that different after all. But first, Laura, welcome back from Hawaii. How are you? Aloha. <laughs> I am so good and also so sad because I'm no longer in Hawaii, but it's nice to see you guys. Can you please do the rest of the show in your amazing newfound American accent? Oh, I'll, I'll have to talk more about that overheard conversation. But uh, oh, there's some stories. There's some gems. But it's good. I'm back with a tan and all over tan. I'm, uh, I'm feeling bronzed. I'm feeling rejuvenated. Uh, I Lots of like spam and stuff. It was good. Thanks for the spam academia. That's those for a nice addition. Yeah, no worries. I just really thought that's what you needed in your life. B, how are you going? You know what? I feel rejuvenated too. Today honestly felt like the first day of spring. Like it's come a couple of days early, but... um. It's our last day of summer, B. Don't yeah, rub it in. Gorgeous weather. The manager at my local Pret gave me a free coffee on the house. Salad guy gave me extra bread. It's good. I'm very oh, good. Salad guy? Yeah. Jeremy, good stuff. how are you? I'm okay. I'm okay. I should mention we still have a few posters um, left for our giveaway, which we've been running. So we've been just um, blatantly bribing people um, you know, to leave us reviews on iTunes in exchange for a wonderful... It's like my favorite poster it's ever. It's so cool. There's a yeah, secret message me on one? it. I don't know if everyone's got it. Yeah, we'll send you a poster. I anyway, lost mine, but it's very cool. We, we still have a few left. Um, it's in our show notes, our Instagram page on Jackie Winter. You can check that out. Um, so let's head into our open tabs for this week. We had a bit of a contest as well, like trying to get people to help name um, this section, which um, it was staring us in the face the whole time. You know, we've been doing these open tabs events um, and we were calling it our mini links before. We put out a call um, for some suggestions and saying we would name an episode after um, people who, um, you know, would give us some suggestions. We had some really good ones. I want to read out a few. These are from our one of our artist bill hope actually i think these are great um lincoln you'll miss it b linky bill lincoln audio all caps trio that's a bit of a stretch the unbearable linkness of being i quite like that one's fantastic i link therefore i am and the tragic linking of the linkstania i don't get that one i don't get that one either either way Sorry, Bill, we're not going with that. We're going to give you a, a shout out for helping us, but these are just going to be called open tabs. We also got week. some fabulous suggestions from another listener, Jason Hatcher. So thank you to you, Jason, as well. Thank you, Jason. So B, the first link in your open tabs, um, how to increase emotional intelligence. Five powerful secrets. This sounds like clickbait, but is it not? It is not. You know, as producers, we often talk about how good communication skills are very vital. And we talk a lot on the podcast. I think every guest that we have in that is, um, you know, a producer or a project manager or an account manager. Um, we talk a lot about, you know, emotional intelligence is incredibly important to our role. So I really just wanted to bring up this fantastic article that I came across, which breaks down incredibly succinctly the components that make up emotional intelligence and how to develop each one in case any of our listeners are 
particularly interested in developing their own skills here. So it's a post from a guy, a writer called Eric Barker, and the tagline for his blog is bringing you science-based answers and expert insight on how to be awesome at life. But what I loved about this was that it was such an easy read that gives very actionable advice, but he also draws from some really fantastic sources. So it's a treasure, like a treasure trove if you actually want to delve further into um, emotional intelligence and how to get better at it. Totally. I really liked this one as well. I think um, my favorite point on this list was number two, which was all about self-regulating. Yes. Um, and so the author like points out that being highly emotional doesn't necessarily equate with like being highly emotionally intelligent. And, you know, really it's about being able to regulate your emotions and, you know, because people who are wise and are calm don't impulsively respond to things or act without thinking. And I think I really like this point because it's something I've personally had to work on. I can be a bit explosive. And I think with some effort, it's it like is a- definitely an area that you can see like quite a notable shift. Um, and I think it's also like it's obvious to see how regulation of your emotions is, you know, beneficial to all of those around you. But it also has like a really phenomenal impact on your own happiness and ability to get through the day smoothly and make sound decisions. And the author suggests um, practicing mindfulness meditation as a science-backed way to help you learn to better self-regulate and learn to control your impulses and channel them in in useful ways that would make you more resilient and, and efficient. Yeah, well, I mean, my understanding and my own practice of mindfulness is all about lowering that threshold of reactivity. So basically, when, you know, kind of things are coming in, so you don't react to them as, um, I guess, as instinctually as kind of you might, you know, putting some space between those things. And there's that classic idea of, you know, like, take a deep breath or count to 10 before you respond, like the anger management. I love the cartoon at the top of this, which is um, just someone sitting across from another person holding a piece of paper and says, yes, I think I have good people skills. What kind of idiot question is that? Um, Very nice. Now, my link is something that, I mean, who knows what will have happened by the time that um, this actually gets published next week. But the title is, Why is Vera Going Viral? And um, I think if anyone is alive on social media, they've probably seen a friend or themselves gone on Vero, the social media platform that's actually been around since 2015. And um, there's a lot of think pieces that have kind of popped up in the last 36 hours about this. But I think this piece on Slate, I think it sums it all up in the in the subtitle, which is the barely capable social apps popularity suggests Facebook and Instagram may be facing a deeper backlash than we thought. Um, and I think my favorite quote from this piece as well um, is a tweet from Brooke Shelley that says, I tried out Vero and its design says, what if it LinkedIn designed the shitty nightclub? <laughs> it's pretty much my experience um, with it as well. I mean, have you guys um, joined? I mean, you've seen it everywhere. I'm embarrassed to say that I've never heard of it. You've been on an island. I've been on an island, Dan, exactly. <laughs> From what I understand, people want something that is where they don't get ads and they're they're not affected by like it's a social media network that's not affected by an algorithm. But I mean, Jeremy, I've complained to you a lot that I'm bored of Instagram and I actually don't think it's the algorithm that's the problem. I think it's just the content on Instagram is boring. So I don't think an algorithm is going to change that. Yeah, look, I sort of agree, but I also kind of think the algorithm is forcing people to post in a certain kind of way to try to beat the algorithm. But also the algorithm is delivering up the same content over and over again. Whereas I think if that algorithm didn't exist, you might have a little bit more variety in your feed. That's how I feel about my Facebook anyway, because like my Facebook feed and I'm not like necessarily complaining but it's all dogs and fail videos and like those are my two favorite things so it's like not the worst but sometimes I'd like to see something else I don't know I mean I did download it I opened it up I connected with Maddie Huynh who is one of our artists who was the only person that was on it in I think it was the middle of the night when I (laughs) couldn't sleep and, and decided to have a go but I kind of opened it and I felt like maybe someone a bit older than me that was looking at Snapchat for the first time like 
I kind of, I look at it, my eyes glaze over. I have no clue what I'm looking at. I can't be bothered taking the time to work it out. And honestly, I'm trying to curb back my social media use. So I'll probably delete it. That's still how I feel with Twitter. I just can't wrap my head around it. Anyway, the bottom line here is we're all old and confused (laughs) and we don't understand Vero, but it looks really gross. Go back to writing letters to each other. (laughs) Um, Laura, what you actually posted a link from Slate as well. Yeah, double Slate this week. Um, This I love. Uh, So in mid-Jan this year, Slate started a new series called My Parents' Work-Life Balance. Basically, they're interviewing the children of um, various uh, notable people across a a range of industries. So for example, um, there's uh, the daughter of Tiger Mom, Amy Chua. Oh, yeah. There is the um, son of BuzzFeed's Ben Smith, who I think is like the chief editor of the news desk, and another girl whose mom is a longtime manager of various Wu-Tang members, and her dad is a Shaolin monk. And yeah, anyway, so it's really interesting in a range of ages, like from at the moment, there's only four in the series, um, from like 13 right up to 21. Um, and it's fascinating just asking them all sorts of questions about, you know, what do you think your parents do? What do you think it is that stresses them out about their work? And how do you think their, you know, ability to balance their life and enjoyment of life with work is? And, you know, do you respect what they do? And all these questions that I think are so fascinating. I don't know. It's not a perspective I've heard before. People might have come up with this idea before, but I think it's brilliant. And what do you think Winifred and uh, Geronimo would say if we interviewed them, Jeremy? I don't know. Like, I just keep getting flashbacks from Kindergarten Cop. <laughs> Who is your dad? He's not <laughs> a tumor. That's all I remember from <laughs> no. Kindergarten Cop. <laughs> anyway, um, I don't know. I'm going to have to think about that. But yeah, I think, is this a, sorry, is this a podcast or is this a... No, it's just, articles. It's, it's, yeah. yeah. They're written interviews. Oh, you're like, oh, I have to read something. Long <laughs> words. No, I'm excited. I'm excited to read things. Um, B, did you have a look at this at all? I, I didn't pull anything out, but I read the BuzzFeed one and there were just so many funny moments. Like, it's just one of those things, like kids say the darndest things. Kids yeah. So I loved hearing kids explain what they think their parents do. Obviously, the older ones in this series had a much better grasp on it, but um, the 13-year-old was pretty amusing. But for the most part, they really admired what their parents did and definitely that like seemed to bleed into their own like work ethic and, and goals, which was kind of nice to see. But anyway, we'll see how it continues. It's definitely a good read. Thanks very much, Laura. We will put the links to all of these pieces on our show notes, which you can find every week at jackiewinter.givesyouthe.biz. Or you can also subscribe to our podcast-specific newsletter at tinyletter.com slash jackiewinter. And we'll be moving on from here. Nearly a decade ago, before food trucks were literally everywhere, and in the case of Australia, five years too late, Rafferty launched one of Australia's very first, Beatbox Kitchen. Beatbox has since expanded to a whole fleet of vehicles, and Raff has gone on to open a slew of successful businesses across various cuisines, including a very tasty donut shop and a brick-and-mortar restaurant. Alongside full-blown culinary domination, Raff also finds time to be a published author and photographer with work in the collection of the Smithsonian, as well as father of two and partner to one of our nearest and dearest Jackie Winter artists, Becky Orpin. As someone with a seemingly never-ending appetite for new creative projects, we really want to sit down with Raf to talk about the systems, methods, and tools he uses to dish up so much great work and learn the secret ingredient of his success. <laughs> so to that end, we're delighted to be joined today by Raf Rashid. Raf, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for putting up with my puns. What's cooking? <laughs> Good one. Amazing. Hey, uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, uh, great to be here. My pleasure. 
I think for yeah. people who maybe aren't familiar with you or your work, it'd be good to get an idea just around the kind of scale of your operation at the moment. So wh what is the kind of current uh, footprint of, you know, your fleet, your restaurants, everything? Yeah, I mean, it's um, it still feels really, um, really small. Uh, we have four food trucks and we have a donut shop, a fried chicken joint and a beatbox shop. Is yeah. that all in one premises, or no? The beatbox shop is up in um, is on Sydney Road um, in Brunswick, and then we have another. Our our headquarters also has a shop out the front, which is the donut shop slash fried chicken. It's a two for one, <laughs> <laughs> and everything is in Melbourne right now, or is there anything happening? Yeah, or... no, everything's everything's just everything is at the moment within like two kilometers of where I live. And how many people do you employ? Uh, the, at the moment, there's about forty five. Wow. So, look, one of the things that I'm really interested in, and this kind of also, I mean, picks up from what um, from Laura was talking about in terms of, you know, work-life balance as well. It's like is, your family is a real kind of family business in lots of ways. I mean, everyone kind of always kind of seems to kind of pitch in and your wife is a pretty respectable artist as well. Um, and so you kind of see a lot of what happens, you know, in creative work as well. Um, what sort of similarities do you see between what you do as a hospitality operator in comparison to someone like your wife who's a commercial artist? Uh, they're both like fundamentally, I, I just find it real. It's really similar. Um, there's an idea, uh, then there's the execution and sometimes the execution is really, it's really, uh, fun. And sometimes it's just straight out hard work. Um, and I see that with Becky, some, you know, the brief can be really great and then it can just drag into something that's just like, oh shit, why did I even take this job? You know? <laughs> um, and that, that happens in, 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 in food as well, you know, like creating the stuff, um, is, is, is huge for me. I love, coming up with the new dishes but the reality is actually showing up and doing the work and sometimes it's amazing you'll have you'll be really succinct with your um co-workers and it'll all go really really smooth and um when that happens you know i just pinch myself and i'm just like you know just just you know remember this time you know like really reflect on it then you'll have a string of ones that just go kind of pear-shaped and then you'll have a great one and it just all sort of evens out I guess something I'm really interested in is, you know, of course, you were one of the first in this space in Australia and um, is like, especially with regards to the trucks. And um, there's so much to manage there in order to make it something that's actually successful um, and viable. And I, I wanted to know sort of how did you even get into it and figure out how to make it work? Yeah. What were those early days like? I was just a fool. So I didn't even, <laughs> I didn't even consider anything like it didn't even need to be a truck. It was just like, I, I literally just wanted to go to this one music festival and, and cook there. Like that's all I wanted to do. So, um, and were you, but, and were you a cook before? No, no. I had literally done one pop-up, which was a, a complete mess. Um, <laughs> but that was just, you know, arrogance and, um, you know, naivety and just all those things. That was me. Um, but, um, extremely confident as well. I, I didn't even care that it was a truck. It just like I did the, I did all the maths and I was like, cool, if I, I've got to hire all this equipment, it's actually quite a lot to hire. Why don't I just put it all in a truck and just take that? And, and then, um, so that's what, that's what I did. And then I got there and then, um, yeah, it was a complete, um, shambles. <laughs> um, and it took me a little while to work out, but I just, um, yeah, there, there was no, there was no business plan or anything. There was just a, there was just raw emotion. 
like just raw feeling the whole time. And the, that feeling was I just wanted to cook this one hamburger. <laughs> that was it. That was it. Didn't even, I didn't even have enough money to put the fryer in to, to make French fries. Um, I could only just afford the grill in this truck. There was no shelving. So your shelfing, legacy is no... all resting on this like one burger at this stage. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, it, it wasn't even considered future, and it was really strange. Like you know, we had uh, two young kids, um, and it was just like it just all of that, all anything sensible went out the window. Um, I'm glad yeah. it did. It's clearly worked it wasn't out well. Even, it, there wasn't even a window. Like it just is like, <laughs> it was just, it was just like, do this. So imagine since then, you know, you started just you doing this thing that you were essentially just winging. And now you said you manage like 45 staff and you've got four trucks and you've got all these other businesses as well under your umbrella. So I imagine you now do have to have some sort of processes and tools and things in place to help you manage whether it's the actual people or the the perishables and the stock that's coming in and out. And so, you know, what are some of the tricks you have or tools you have in your inventory? I guess if we're talking about people, we have managed to attract some great people over the years. Um, they've given me a lot of ideas on, you know, um, management and um, how to deal and Every single person is different, you know, so I've just, I, I, I think I've just made that up as I've gone along as well. Um, and some, some guys have worked with us for five years, some five days, you know, so it's just been a real balance. Um, I would like to think that our workforce is very happy, you know, while, while we're at work. Um, that's going to fluctuate, obviously, but we've, I guess we've just tried to exercise just total humility with every single person that comes through the door and put in as much time as we can. As far as the um, perishable side of the business um, and managing stock, um, I always wanted to do a business that didn't uh, carry a lot of stock. Um, so if we just take the hamburger, like um, I, I could prep that and do a service within two hours and just and basically just have enough stock for that night, maybe a little bit for tomorrow. Um, but basically the, the, the premise of the business is just total fresh food. Mm. So, yeah. Keeping um, it simple. Yeah, just really simple. Um, and again, um, having the right people in place to deal with um, what are our ethos around that and do they share the same? Um, and once they do, then we just discuss how to deal with it and how can we compost better, what type of packaging are we using and, 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 and is our footprint really light? Um, and that's in, our, that's in our first ever mission statement that I wrote about about six months into the business and I still go back and um, I guess I refine that every every year. Mm. Um, but but a lot of the real um, core values are still there 100%. Um, but the business has changed. So in the start, we didn't have a warehouse or big refrigeration. So we're literally on a Friday night. In the start, I only took the truck out once a week. Mm. So um, I would park on the side of my house and then I would turn the generator on two hours. I'd call the uh, butcher and I'd say, okay, the fridge is on now. <laughs> bring the, bring the meat. And then, um, and then, uh, then I'd call the baker. Okay, bring the bread. So that would turn up. So I'd, I'd have it. And I, I could, I only had like two hours. So I had to like just hustle and then I'd get it done. And then, you know, fortunately people came, you know, but then the first, the first time that, that no one came to the truck, you know, it was always going to happen. You know, we're going to have one night and I had all this stock and I was like, oh damn, I've got all this stock. I took it home. And then I was like, um, I live like not on the corner, like one sort of house back from the corner. So I had to get a, uh, 
like a long extension lead and throw it over my neighbor's <laughs> like backyard, like in the middle of the night and then hook it up so I could turn the fridge on. Like, oh, and, geez. uh, because I wanted Keep to, do- I wanted to, I wanted to donate the food the next day and there wasn't enough room in my fridge, my domestic fridge at home. So I was like, ah, cool. I'll keep it going for a day and then I can give everyone, you know, some, <laughs> some food the next day. So, but I had to, you know, climb over their backyard to pu- plug in this lead into the truck. And oh now you've got the warehouse and you've got things a yeah. little more set up. Yeah. I mean, the idea for the growth of this business and it still is the, um, part of the growth is to get to a point where, the roles are the roles are defined more, and the um, the uh, facilities are there to have a smoother business. So, mm. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, let's talk about that whole idea about like remote workers as well, which I think is something really interesting. It's like you know, if you're a well, if you're an average restaurateur, you know, you're kind of there, you have the space, and your staff are there, you get to kind of see everything that's going on. You know, your staff are effectively kind of spread out, always in different locations that are always going to offer different challenges. And I think you know, there's this huge trend in tech towards remote working, where you know you're managing a remote workforce, and that's very attractive for employees. But I kind of would, I find like as an employer, I would find that very difficult. I'm a bit of a control freak. I want to know, know kind of what's going on. Um, I and- can I, I can attest to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just kind of curious, like how did you learn to deal with that from a technical and emotional perspective and you know, how and what kind of tools do you use to kind of to manage a workforce like that you know in the start when it was just me and the one truck and i just cooked that a hamburger that was fine you know the full control i guess i just started to want a little bit more um for the for the business and that meant having to train other people to be able to do the role and that was um I guess that was that was the idea was to to replace myself in all the positions which um I've done to varying degrees of success um but on the most part I think that the food that gets served from the truck is um of a high standard and quality and I'm really happy with the with the way that we've trained people in the food so just keeping an eye on things you know and not letting them go getting not letting it go too far where I'm out of reach and having the right people in place to also um just you know fly the flag for me and for the business and to be there and uphold what we do that's that's probably and putting my trust into them um was a was a big thing and and I had a, I've had a lot of um you know, arguments over the years and a lot of grief about, you know, do I trust them internally and um, vocalizing it um, with the people? And it's just like, hey, if, if we're here and we're here to work and do it. So you got to... Relinquishing you, that control yeah, is hard when it's your baby. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, you have a singular vision, I think, like in any kind of, um, in any kind of commercial project, yeah, there's always that kind of collaboration of someone, okay, like I have this vision, I'm using kind of another kind of talent to execute it and getting that person to kind of come on board and work with you collaboratively is always a challenge. What do you think you're doing in your training specifically that is getting people on board with your vision and keeping them intrinsically motivated, um, you know, throughout the process? Yeah, I guess they must just buy into our ethos of, of what our business is about, why we're, and why we're here, which is basically to give off a great customer service. Um, all of our employees are treated as, you know, uh, fairly, um, and to serve great food. It's really basic. You know, we all love great music around the place. Uh, we're all, we all like, even when the staff party, I couldn't believe that there was 45 people that all hung out, you know, and we all had similar interests. So I, I think that the people kind of find themselves 
Well, I read, actually read an article, the, an, an interview that you did where, you know, you don't curate the playlist in your trucks. Like, yeah, everyone can just play whatever they feel. And I think that's really nice. Yeah. I mean, unless someone's coming out with some completely whack shit, which they were the <laughs> other day, you know, I walked into the one shop, was like, really? Jamiroquai at this hour? Um, I'm but- sorry. Jamiroquai <laughs> is appropriate at every hour. I uh, am regretting this I'm, interview. I'm only playing. But, <laughs> but it's not about jumping into my box. There's expression to be had. Yes, we're not going to be bringing in um, whatever burgers to the thing, but that's okay. The expression can be um, brought about other ways and just the way that you talk to people. And Yeah, I mean, that sounds really similar to, you know, kind of the, I guess, the the secret to success in, in an artist collaboration or an, like an advertising project. I mean, I'm curious how, how do you deal with, I mean, obviously we've talked a lot about staff, but on the other side of, of staffing and keeping staff happy is perhaps the customer. Like, are there any sort of disaster stories with customers and how do you kind of like keep a customer happy when something like taste is so subjective yeah i guess um you know in the start it was always about this is what we do so come and get it if you don't like it well screw you sort of thing (laughs) um and and there is still a little bit of that like i don't expect people to everyone to like it that's fine but when we when we really make a mistake which we do um with customer service and not bringing the right food or you know someone getting something that they're allergic to even though they've been told it's not there which happened once which was you know like um mm. which is just it's diabolical it just um you know it's not cool the the work that we the the instant work that we do would um you know we're just trying to write a good you know a good end to all those stories um which there's not many of but you know like last week there's a bad review up there um I just tried to reach out to the person and just said, "Hey, this just just not ideal." Go back to the people who um who had the experience, the, the staff members, talk them through it. Um, we're always we employ humans. There's always going to be human error, and just yeah, doing whatever we can for the customer. I remember one time a guy got food from the truck and he got back to his house and it was like he was missing a he was missing a burger or something, you know, and he posted up straight away. I, I just got um I just got someone to get get another burger into a taxi and get it to his house. You know? <laughs> just straight away, you know? Just that's that's he just needed he needed that hamburger. He he felt like he needed to post about it. I felt like I needed to get him the right order. So. I just la- I had love this vision that of a hamburger with a seatbelt on, like, like <laughs> yeah. I mean, back then it was it was it was you know now we've just you know the the delivery services have just gone ridiculous. Well, let's talk about that. I mean, how do you keep on top of trends and and deal with something like that, which is such a big movement right now. I mean, I, I embrace um, the changes and um, how it's how it how it has changed over the last year. Um, it's been a really difficult experiment because you don't really know the impact until you do it for six months um, and or even a year. Um, coming up to a year with being on the delivery platforms, I would say that. Oh, because sorry to interrupt, but like just to clarify, so you have like one of peaches is on like Uber Eats, yeah, and, and the other ones, and but then you then you also have like the food truck business, which I guess is in competition with that in some ways. Yeah, I mean the food truck business has changed quite a lot in the last few years. Um, so before, like a couple of years ago, uh, we would be out every every single night. Mm. Um, that, that style has changed now. We're only out one night a week. Seriously? Yeah. Um, why is that? Uh, just the, just the demand changed and no one's leaving their houses. Yeah. I mean, the, I wouldn't say that the, um, that delivery changed that, 
um i would just you know people just change it's just like you know it's it's and it, that's okay well i feel like i see you guys in other food trucks now more at specific events rather than at just out on the street you know like it's more like there'll be a like when did i eat um taco truck recently it was a melbourne museum thing and you yeah. guys were there you know yeah. things like that when there's like an opening or something and there's definitely going to be a bunch of people who are hungry yeah i mean we 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 kind of did it different to all the the, the trucks that came after us um, started creating their own specific sites. Um, that was never really my idea. Like I didn't really want to just be locked into to that for that night. I was more interested in building something with the customer over a period of time, being in the same location either once a week or twice a week. Or so we had to change with with how the customer wanted to use us and the customer went from coming out every night to wanting to book us for functions you know and wanting to book us for catering and weddings and i was like okay cool that's that's you know we'll let's put some let's move our focus into that um yeah so <laughs> basically the delivery thing is um you know the 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 fees and you might have read some articles you know the 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 frenemies and the uh the business partner you never wanted you know mm. it's um pretty real uh we we built a system to help deal with the influx of delivery and that was that was our our first failure what what do you mean you built a system well i mean you know like we would employ someone just to be on the ipad you know just taking the orders right you know because it was that busy wow like just like ridiculous like a busy weekend in one night like Mm. that that that's how much it was and it was and we were just like wow this is this is just ridiculous so why was that a failure uh, because of the percentages that they take are so high. Right. So the, the fees that you, the fees that you give away, you can basically only absorb them. Um, in my perspective is if you don't have it to add any infrastructure to do the order, no problem. But as soon as you have to add some infrastructure, um, by, you know, whether it's an extra staff member or an extra cook or whatever it is, then you're really gonna, you're really going to do your numbers. And how do how do other operators have dealt with this? Like, do you kind of have a community of other people that you kind of work with as peers? No, we we really don't. Yeah, all my friends that are in food have never turned it on. <laughs> <laughs> After hearing your stories, yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's even so convenient, like coming home on the subway and just like ordering on an app to pick up. Like now, I feel like maybe I should just give them a buzz. I mean, nothing's going to beat hopefully the in-house experience, but. You know, I, I interviewed all my staff and I said, how often do you do you get Uber Eats? And one person, it went from four times a week to once a month. Mm. So it's really interesting with most people being around once a week to once every two weeks. Mm. It's extremely convenient. Um, some food travels better than others, for sure. Definitely. Um, and I'm you know, never ordering a kebab delivery again. They yeah. do not travel. <laughs> um, so it's all about the um, the customer, and then you know. But my idea was always, I, I just kind of say yes to everything, and then and then I'll work it out, you know. So in the start, in the first couple years of the food truck, or the first year of the food truck, like I, I did any festival, you know, every single one, just to work out what the demographics were. How is that going to work? Could I tune my food at all to them? Um, some yes, some no, um, and I still encourage that in the in the events team to take bookings that might be slightly outside of what we do, mm. just to just because. Things start, things finish, and it's great to just be rolling and having people employed. 
Now, you travel a lot as well, and especially with your photography work, which we haven't even touched upon. But yeah, you are. I, I, when you spoke at Creative Mornings and talked about your journey, I found it so interesting. And I still love the fact that um, one of your photos is in the Smithsonian. Is that the Jay Diller one? Yeah, yeah. yeah the Jay Diller photo was in there with his um, uh, Moog synthesizer. Amazing. Um, mm. Yeah, which was, it's just extremely humbling. That's kind of from your travels um, at um, going around looking at hip hop home studios. Yeah. Um, did you do a lot of travel and research for the food business? Like I know, I remember when you were starting Beatbox, you were saying you were trying to get, you know, the perfect ratio, um, you know, for the burger and like you yeah. go to different um, food trucks and go to different places and try to kind of experiment to find kind of, you know, your custom blends. Yeah. Um, do, is that kind of something that's still part of your business? How do you kind of keep current? What do you use for your inspiration? I guess inspiration, yeah. This, I mean, there's so much noise, you know, with uh, with just really with social media and um, people's tastes. But for me, it's always been about going back to the real uh, simple forms of everything. Um, so, recent journey to New York, I went out to a um, to an original burger stand from 1934 <sighs> called. Um, called white mana and they're in hackensack new jersey um that was like a i don't know must have taken me an hour and a half to get out there and you know the trains and then there's not even a platform you just (laughs) step down it was that sort of train station it was awesome and you get out there like what am i doing out there but for me it's all about going back to where um things start and then building my own um trend i don't know my own thing from that that that's really important to me and that's where i find inspiration in those probably those more working class um environments um instead of just finding the latest thing and trying to emulate Well, i've always got the feel from your food and from your cookbooks that like you cook what you would want to eat you know yourself yeah i mean that's yeah pretty much yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is which is great i mean i've i've cooked from um Hungry for that? Hungry for that. I've cooked from hungry for that a bunch of times. And like I, so like I'm, I'm Mexican myself. I've been surrounded by Mexican food my entire life. And I'm always really picky with Mexican cookbooks and Mexican food. And I've loved everything I've made from there. It's been delicious, but it's definitely got its own style, which I love. Like it's not the same thing over and over again. And so that's, that's awesome. But what I wanted to, to know was, um, whether you approach creating dishes for books like that any differently to the way you approach creating dishes for say the trucks or for the um, for the restaurant no everything's just in like it's just it's there's no there's no um i don't have time to be putting things in in um or i don't want to be putting things in their own little box you know like i'm not a refreshed uh father till 9 a.m and then and nine till 12 i'm this guy and then i'm going to be <laughs> that guy it's just all in like life balance and all that it's just you just have your own balance so what um, do you think your kids would say about your your work-life balance i i don't i, I think they just the word when it's when it's raised especially recently has a bit of a negative connotation like there's an issue but we're just we're just living like we're just doing what we do, you know. It's it might be unconventional to some, um, but yeah, we've just you know, I, I just set up a new skateboard yesterday. We're out at the Glenroy Skate Park last night with both kids, just I don't know, ripping around. I can tell you from the outside, um, the life at the uh, <laughs> the Orphan Rashid household looks pretty damn good. Oh, the, uh, <laughs> it's just I don't know. It's just it's just rolling, you know. So the 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 food that comes up, we'll get 
pushed into this is something that could work or i feel like i've watched your family like grow up like through gallery openings over the last kind of 10 years as well uh, <laughs> now that your kids are a bit older like is there do they talk about what they want to do like professionally um that goes from um being a builder to being a cook to being a illustrator that's that's <laughs> what the that's what they've been lately um but yeah that doesn't really come up and that's part of the whole kind of beatbox and taco truck brand as well because you know becky does all the illustrations for yeah. it, and then it's kind of it's a real embodiment not only of kind of your brand but your family and your personality as well so that's what i mean i think that's a real kind of beautiful thing that is kind of this very natural organic process and i think that's why kind of so many staff and um you know people have really resonated with it so look thank you so much for sharing your story raf do you have anything else you'd like to kind of leave our audience with or any other kind of um you know tidbits for people who are you know creative producers or you know trying to deal with creative people or make creative work happen yeah uh it just just keep going with the flow you know <laughs> like there's always you know I, I think managing um managing people it, you just need you really need to be prepared to be in a constant sort of state of conflict I, I, horrible yeah it, it does <laughs> it, it really it really does but by that i mean i mean and that could just be um holding someone accountable you know like uh it's it's a really big thing in our business and and by conflict i don't mean you know like it's it, it can just be a bunch of shitty conversations you know like trying to just like explain where you're coming from and why it's not working and no finger pointing please let's just you know like just mm. focus on what we're going to do um and how do you I mean i mean going back to some of the things we were talking about about emotional intelligence as well how do you keep your reactivity down or the things you kind of do in your life outside work that like for me i take things so personally i would find that kind of mode very difficult so i'm curious like is that something that you just think you were born with or are there things that you do oh no no like i was like fire for years <laughs> like like so bad you know like couldn't not deal um and would take things personally um but having to change the tact um internally and you know pe people are there for the for the People are there because they want to be there, you know, but not if you ruin it for them, you know. So um, just trying to keep the, uh, the reactions really, you know, subdued. How did you change, um, though? Did you notice a turning point? Uh, just just slowly um, for a few years and then really intensely in the last uh, probably six months. Really? Is yeah. there anything specific that you've done that you've noticed that has helped that process? Uh, just... Um, getting old <laughs> yeah and and just just more empathy all the time just really trying to understand where the person is my upbringing was so different to every single person in the business you know um telling people wh why you know i might have thought this way um and also understanding why they could just cannot see it that way um trying to talk through those issues um i spend a lot of my time apologizing <laughs> 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 uh but yeah you know um that you know not not never never not not putting the fire out you know but just controlling the burn that is just yeah, it's a pretty great way to wrap up yeah right? too beautiful not to cut there <laughs> um and where can people find out more about you and beatbox and the whole rashid empire uh probably becky orpin's uh, instagram <laughs> you know what that's true <laughs> yeah that's her stories are fantastic so that's some good delegating yeah that, that's where it happens i mean i'm not i'm not big on there you know awesome well raf thanks again so much for coming by we look I'm forward to another bloody starving yeah. after yeah. that conversation <laughs> very hungry. um awesome take care man thank you 
wrapping up like we like to every week, the most Melbourne and most New York thing that we've seen this week, or Lara, in your case, most Hawaiian thing. I, I really just want this summary of, can we can we get into the American accent that you overheard? We can give it a go. So um, we went on this whale watching tour in Maui um, and we just had like ridiculously good luck in Maui. We were just being like super bougie, but we were the like youngest, poorest people on the island and um, it was hilarious. But we, we went on this whale watching tour and there were a lot of, um, you could drink on the on the boat and there were a lot of very drunk Americans on there. Um, and we, Mel and I, at one point, we were sort of lying down um, and we were listening to this woman who was on the phone and we were just um, eavesdropping on this whole conversation, which is my favorite activity. And it was fucking hilarious because she had gone on this um, whale watching tour and she was on the phone to her daughter, I think, um, and telling her about Maui. And she, she the part that destroyed us was her thinking that she'd discovered gelato. So she's telling her, her daughter, she was like, you know, she's saying, she's like, oh, there's fucking beaches every fucking where, guava every fucking where, birds you've never fucking seen before. And they have this thing, they call it gelato. It's like ice cream, but it's not ice cream. And the daughter was sort of on the phone, sort of just responding like, oh, okay, mom. And she had, um, she'd also bought into this weird like timeshare deal. And she was telling her daughter, it's 10,000 a year and you get great deals on prime rib. And uh, <laughs> We were we had to face away because we were crying like tears, literal tears, like pouring down our faces. Um, and anyway, now it's um it's my favorite character to whip out. <laughs> so good. Um, B New York, what's happened? Well, I mean, speaking of accents, the most New York thing is I didn't realize, but the most prominent vowel that uh, that kind of calls you out as an Australian is no, <laughs> no. 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 It's like, no. <laughs> I, know, I was playing Jenga with a friend at a bar the other day and uh, I couldn't get away from the no. Uh, my thing it was a very Bianca-inspired um, news release from Broadsheet Melbourne all about the new Mono Wing in um, Tasmania. <sighs> so while it's not um, purely Melbourne, it's just kind of over the river. And, yeah, this is just – I mean – Oh, Mona's so good. It's so phenomenal. But this is this is a new wing called Pharos, which is basically opened um, t- specifically to house mostly um, James Terrell. Oh my pieces. gosh, and the love of our lives. <laughs> yeah, the love of Bianca's <laughs> lives. So I expect B, when you are back here for a visit in May, that we might go yes. down for a trip together to um, get into it. I am determined to see every Terrell that exists in the world. And to, like, to the point where I was sitting at a bar with a friend one night and we almost bought tickets to like just to fly to Roden Crater, not realizing that it was still being built. I just love him so much. <laughs> it's been built for like the last 30 years, so you're going to have a bit of a weight on your hands. But the new wing looks phenomenal. Yeah, well, I'll post a link to that um, if you haven't seen it already. Thank you very much, B. Thank you. Thank you, Laura. Thank you. This has been Jackie Winter Gives You the Business. Jackie Winter Gives You the Business is a weekly podcast about creative project management and production and just making things happen in general. Our producer is Areej Noor. You can find the Jackie Winter Group on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Jackie Winter. You won't find us on Vero, though. Or you will, but we don't have any posts. Um, and you can email us with any recommendations, feedback, questions, or comments at podcast at JackieWinter.com. We are also now on Stitcher as well, if that's your thing. So if we get another, um, I think, 30,000 listeners, we get some of that Stitcher's 
sweet cash. <laughs> um, <laughs> easy ar- done. Easy done. The archives of all of our shows and show notes can be found at JackieWinter.GivesYouThe.Biz. And you can sign up to our weekly podcast-specific newsletter at tinyletter.com slash JackieWinter, where we send out the show notes and episode download links every Friday. Our theme music is by Melbourne-based musician Jackie Winter. You can check out his stuff at SoundCloud.com slash JackieWinter. If you love what you hear, you can really help us out. Subscribing on iTunes, rating us, and commenting too. It helps other people find the podcast. Details are on our website at JackieWinter.GivesYouThe.Biz. We still have some posters left for our giveaway. So if you want a straight-up bribe, um, head over to our Instagram at JackieWinter. Leave us a review on iTunes. Get a free poster. It's very easy. Thanks for listening. Catch you next week. Bye-bye. That was kind of a joke. Is it? Yeah. I missed it. I'm sorry. Cricket sound. One of my... (laughs) I will always remember this. Like one of my friends had this book, like his parents had. It was just, it was a really thick book, and it was called like "Sex After 50. and the whole book was just blank. And I just thought, like, there's, there's not enough kind of like novelty books like that like around anymore. <laughs>